morning. I'm Tanya Overdorf. And I'm Tom Searcy. Welcome to week five in the Word. You are in an important Bible study right now, listening to what God has to say to you. And you may or may not be able to feel this, but seeds are being planted through His Word in your life. And great things are going to happen because of that. We'd like to know how God is working in your life. And how do they do that, Tom? Well, you can text us, but I really don't know how to do that. Um, it'd be a lot easier if you just email us. That's the, probably the best way. Or fill out uh, the card that you've got that you received on your way in. In either case, we want to understand a lot more about what's happening with you as you study the Word. So, let's get started. Yeah, I do want to hear from you, so write me, tell me what you're learning, tell me what questions you have, how's the 40 days helped you, we want to hear your stories, all my information's in the bulletin there, and you can let me know directly, I'd love to read that. I want to start off, just before we start reading this passage, I want to tell you a story about my grandfather. Hi mom, I'm going to talk about Grandpa Lynn. And uh, he was one of the wisest people I ever knew in my whole life. He was in Africa for, my grandparents lived in Africa for 50 years almost. And many of those years were in the country of Kenya, which are in the, it's in the news this morning. And, you know, 39 people killed. And our hearts go there because our friends are there. Our family is there. But Grandpa Lynn was one of the wisest people. His, he was a tall man. I mean, right out of the Indiana Jones movie, he had leathered skin. He'd been in the sun for all those years. And, uh... His speech was laced with scripture and proverbs. In fact, he'd mastered the Swahili language. So that language is flavored with proverbs by the thousands. And he had learned many of them and he was always quoting them. And my favorite one of all the proverbs that he shared is this one, the hunter of elephants never lacks firewood. Let me say that again. The hunter of elephants never lacks firewood. Now, if you don't know much about elephants, that doesn't mean anything to you, and that's what he's talking about. But if you had to study the, uh, that, that, the chance to study the habits of these great creatures, as my grandfather did many years out in the bush and watching them and observing them, the meaning is very plain. Those animals will stand up on their back feet and put their legs on the tree, take their trunk and rip off a huge branch, and then they will proceed to eat every part of the bark the fruit, the leaves, and strip that branch completely bare, and then they'll leave the bare wood on the ground, and then they'll move on to the next branch, and so on, and on to the next tree. And so hence, the, the hunter of elephants never lacks firewood, because as long as you stay on the trail, they, you will find all that firewood along the path, okay? Now, there are many people who are making the pursuit of life about firewood, and they don't realize that it could be so much greater. Hunting elephants sounds really fun. And it sounds exciting. And there's way more. Uh, there's so much more in life. I think we have such small ambitions for our lives. I think that we don't see ourselves through the eyes of God and what's really possible and what we really can accomplish. We're limited people. We're limited by our family of origins and our backgrounds and our faith traditions and why what we've seen and the prayers we've heard prayed and our faith. We're limited by so much and yet we serve uh, an exponential God. A 10x God that says, if you'll learn from me and let my spirit be in you, I mean... <laughs> 
what is really possible. In fact, I want to know the answer to that. What's really possible out of this life? Now, that's the whole point of the 40 days. This has not been about to give you more information about the Bible. The Bible was given not to give us information, but to change our lives. And the, the real change I want to see happen in our lives in the 40 days is, is the focus that it brings as we say for 40 days, God, I really want to hear you speak to me. I want to know you. I want to take the, the word and have it be a living word inside of me. I want to be the new living translation. You know, I want that to be, I want that, I want your words inside of me. I want to know you better. And so we've been studying this idea. And I told you a few weeks ago that when we recognize we're interacting, not just with a book, but that this is the revelation of Jesus, this book. This is, this is his words and we can get to know him. When you come with that sort of honor and respect and you even come into a place like this where we just sang a few moments ago and we say, God, I look to you. I focus on you. I turn aside from all other distractions and I focus on you and I listen for your voice. That's like turning on the light. That is a illumination. And if I'll put this back up on the screen so you can see it, looking to God and listening to him turns on the light so that I can learn the meaning of his word and how to live it in my life. That's been the goal. And so last week I gave you some questions that if you really want to learn the meaning of his word, you just ask some great questions. I talked to you about just looking at the passage. What does it say? And then asking the second question, well, what does it mean? What does it say is observation? What does it mean is interpretation? We're going to talk about that a lot today. And then is there any other verses that explain it? So that's the principle of correlation. But then the most important question is, so now that I know what it means, what am I going to do? And that's the principle of application. Now I want to talk to you about this passage because I want to model for you how you can pull what God is really trying to say, a passage that speaks clearly to the idea of a life of fruit bearing or a life of firewood. And you get to choose. What are you going to be? What's life going to be about? What will the pursuit of your life be? And it clearly differentiates between the pursuit of fruit and the pursuit of firewood. So let me read this incredible passage. Jesus is talking. It'll be on the screen and follow along in your own Bibles. I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain or stay connected in me, and I will stay connected or remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must stay connected. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you stay connected. You remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, if anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Ooh, that sounds scary. I wonder what that means. Okay, so we'll look at that. Verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. I want to know what that means. Verse 8, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. 
If you obey my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I've obeyed my Father's commands and remained in His love. Now, then he gives us the motive for why he's telling us all of this in verse 11. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus is about to do this in just a few hours from saying this. You're my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything I've learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and I have appointed, I have destined that you will go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command love each other. Holy Spirit, please speak so clearly to us. Be the living word. May this come alive and I pray you change the heart of every person who hears this word today. Fill me with your spirit. I hold nothing back. I pray that you will do what needs to be done in all of us right now. In Jesus' name, amen. There's so much in that passage. We could spend the next six weeks studying all those verses and still not get to the total bottom of it. This is going to be a long sermon. No, <laughs> no, we're just going to focus and narrow our, our study onto just the, the one key idea of fruit-bearing versus firewood. And we want to understand what it means. We want to know what is it that this passage is saying to us. If we were to, to, to look at this and and study it, we could come up with a lot of different applications. In fact, this is one of the most misinterpreted passages in the entire Bible. I want to show you how a passage can be taken out of context and how it can be misinterpreted. I also want to show you what it's like to have a fruitful life versus a life of just firewood. Now, you've heard people talk about the Bible and they say things like, well, that's just your interpretation. And someone else, you know, like, like there can be multiple interpretations. Like you have yours, and I have mine, and he has his, and it's all equally valid. But that's just not the case. There's only one meaning for every passage of Scripture. There's only one meaning that God intends for each verse. Now, there are lots of applications. I mean, you can have a lot of applications of any particular verse, depending on if you're young or old or you're married or you're single or maybe you live in the U.S. or you live in Africa or, uh, you know, depending on your life circumstances, lots of different applications, but there is just one meaning. And so you have to know, how do I figure out what that meaning is? Because there is a correct way to interpret the Bible and an incorrect way to do it. There's a legitimate way to do Bible study and an illegitimate way to do Bible study. Because if you don't do this right, if you don't interpret correctly, you can make the Bible mean anything you want it to mean. And that's why people have taken uh, this passage and made it mean something that it, it doesn't mean at all. In fact, that verse, that problem verse that I highlighted, the one that's kind of scary. Let me just read that again, and I'll show you what I'm talking about. Uh, Verse 6 says, if anyone doesn't remain in me, he's like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and are burned. And so what people will say is, if you don't bear fruit, 
And then they will go and define what fruit is. And, you know, they could say all kinds of things. Well, it's witnessing and sharing your faith or whatever. A a variety of, if if you don't bear fruit, you're going to wither up. God's going to cut you off. You'll lose salvation. You'll go to hell and burn. That's what this is saying. Well, that couldn't be further from the truth. That's not what this passage is saying. This is actually, that's a gross misinterpretation of the passage. And it ignores the rules of interpretation. So, got your attention now? All right, I want to explain to you how you can, you can not only interpret for yourself, but you can have a filter, because then you'll hear somebody say something like that, and you'll go, well, that's just not right, okay? So, let me give you, write these down. These are the four principles or rules of, of Bible interpretation. Number one, you always want to consider the historical context. That just simply means you want to know Who is this being spoken to and why? Before you ever pull an application for your life out of the passage, you want to ask the question, what was this saying to the original hearers? What did it mean to the people that this was actually said to? And to figure that out, you have to look at it in the proper context. And context not only means the setting historically, but in context in the passage of Scripture. So one of the things, if you were going to interpret John chapter 15, you would have to realize that this little passage we just read is a piece of a greater conversation. That actually John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, five chapters, are really one conversation that Jesus is having with a very specific audience. Jesus has, saw, has realized that this is his last night before he goes back to be with the Father. His last night on earth. And he realizes, I need to have a private place where I can have a private conversation with my closest friends, my 12 disciples. He has chosen them. He has picked them. They have walked with him for three and a half years, and he loves them. And he knows what's just about to happen. He knows how discouraged they're going to be, how caught off guard they're going to be, how in just a few moments their whole world is going to come down. In fact, they're going to stand around and go, what just happened? Jesus is dead, and they're going to be so discouraged and afraid. So he wants to get them in a place where he can have a conversation, where he can tell them some really important things that they're going to need to hold on to because of what's coming. And so he spends some time explaining to them how they can stay encouraged even when difficult times come. Now I'm interested. I want to know what that is about. So John chapter 13, if you go back to the beginning of the conversation, um, this, is what he, this is what he says. Jesus, uh, it was just before the pastor, Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave the world. So he was going back to his father. Now look at this. Having loved his own, his disciples who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. That's the goal. That's the vision for for the whole conversation in 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. That he's going to show them and say to them the full extent of his love. And the first thing he does to get their attention is he takes off his outer garment and he picks up a basin and a towel and he proceeds to wash their feet and it blows their mind Jesus is washing our feet you see if you just read a chapter before you realize there's all kinds of tension in the room in fact they're mad at each other two of the guys were going around saying hey we're the greatest you know of the others and they didn't like that and they got their mom involved and that got 
ugly. And then, <laughs> and then you've got a guy in there, Judas. He's going to betray Jesus. And so his whole vibe is going off in the room. And then you've got, you know, they're trying to have Passover. And the people that they sent to prepare the room didn't get it right. And there's nobody there to wash their feet and get all the dust off there. It was a common practice. This is supposed to be done. Nobody was there to do that. And then on top of that, they're full of anxiety because Jesus, instead of taking charge of Jerusalem, is, keeps talking about he's going to die. And he's going to be crucified. And so the whole, you know, mood is just off. And Jesus is going, I can't have this conversation. I want to show them the full extent of my love, but I'm going to have to get their attention and shift the mood of this room. So Jesus says, knowing he was from God, knowing he was about to go back to the Father, takes off his robe and starts to wash their feet, takes on the form of a servant, a lowly servant, and starts washing their feet. And they are shocked. Now, listen. The reason why Jesus could serve, because he knew who he was. He was secure in himself. You see, you can't serve anybody if you're not secure. If you don't know who you are, you'll never want to be treated like a servant, right? So you always want to be seen as something else. But when you know who you are, you can serve anybody. So Jesus now is serving these guys with full confidence, knowing I got to get their heads in the right place. And Peter's like, you're not going to wash my feet. He's like... Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you can't have any part of me. And Judas is there. He knows what Judas is going to do. He's going to betray him, and he washes Judas' feet anyway. And when he's all done washing their feet, he says to them, Now, look what I've done for you. As I have done for you, you ought to do for one another. I have done this as an example for you that you will love and serve one another like this. Because he's saying to them, guys, you have no idea what's coming, but to get through what you're going to go through, you're going to have to love and serve each other to get through. You're going to have to stay connected and you're going to have to love each other because it's going to be so difficult. And so he spends the rest of chapter 13 talking about how they have to love each other. Then in chapter 14, he tries to lower their anxiety by saying um, that, that giving them promises, saying, listen, I know that I'm going away. I know that you're not going to see me, but don't worry because I'm going to prepare a place for you in heaven and I won't forget you or leave you as orphans. I'll come back and get you and receive you to myself. Then he gives a second promise. You're going to be able to pray. Even though you can't see me, you're going to be able to pray and talk to me and I will listen and I will answer your prayers. And then he says another promise, and on top of that, I'm going to send you my Holy Spirit to comfort you. I will not leave you alone. You won't be orphans. The same Spirit that has been guiding, directing, helping me, telling me what to do, giving me the power to do what God asks, that same incredible Holy Spirit I'm going to give to you. So don't worry. The, the, the fourth promise, I'm going to give you peace that passes understanding. In this world that's coming, you're going to have trouble. It's going to be difficult. But I'm telling you, just relax because the peace of God that you can't even express is going to fill you in your soul. And you're going to be brave and you're going to be able to overcome. Take heart. I've overcome the world. You have nothing to fear. So he's made these incredible promises to them. And so the discussion is going on and Judas slips out. And now there's only 11. And you get to the last verse of chapter 14 and he says, Come, let us now go and leave this place. Now, we all know this, right? Where are they going? Jesus is going to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. We know that part of the story. And see, all you have to do is just ask questions. Well, I wonder what it was like when they walked. And you Google that. And you just go on and ask, what was it like in Jerusalem at the time of Jesus? And you know, Jerusalem's up on a hill. And so they walked out of Jerusalem down the hill 
and there's a valley there, and then they come up the valley to the Mount of Gethsem- or to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is up on another hill. Well, you know what's in the valley? The vineyards of Jerusalem. And so Jesus is keeping the same conversation, chapter 13, 14, 15, 16. It just went mobile. They were in the upper room, and he keeps talking to them, and they're walking now through these vineyards of Jerusalem. And he says, see, guys, it's like this, like this vine over here. If you stay connected in the vine, you're going to produce much fruit like this. But like this one over here, it broke off, and it's dead, and it's, it's disconnected. That's what life's going to be like if you don't stay connected to me. He's just doing an object lesson as they walk through the vineyard. So the disciples are like, I'm sure, I'm trying to imagine. They're going, what? (laughs) You're going to go away. I'm not going to be able to see you anymore, but you're saying, but stay connected to me, guys. I don't understand that. And, you know, and, and it makes your mind hurt. And I'm sure you've looked at that and, and you've said, well, I would love to stay connected to Jesus, but I can't see him. I can't talk to him. I can't, I mean, how do I do that? I don't know. And see, all of a sudden, now you understand you're no different. I mean, you're in great company. The original disciples, they said the same thing. Now you're getting to the meaning. They didn't know what he meant. That's why he says, guys, remember, I chose you. You remember like three years ago and I picked you and I says, you're going to be fishers of men. Come follow me. And you had no clue what that meant. You're like, well, I don't know what that means. But we'll just start following. And three years from now, you're not even going to recognize yourself. Well, here you are now. You didn't know then. I'm saying just keep following me. Keep trusting me. A few days from now, you'll understand. It'll all be clear, but I'm just saying to you now, even though you don't get it, I'm saying you got to stay connected. You got to stay close to me. Don't get disconnected from the vine. You see, there's times in our life where we don't understand yet, but God is going to be telling us what to do. And those are the moments when we say, okay, God, I'll trust you. Right? So he's saying to them now, you're the vine, or I'm the vine, you're the branches, my father is the gardener, stay connected to me, and they're not getting it. But, but here's my point in giving you all this background. Knowing the context, knowing that he's been saying to them, this is the full extent of my love. And he's washing their feet. And he's, he's uh, even, his, even his enemy that's going to leave, and the, Judas. And even uh, he's telling them, look, I promise you, I will not leave you. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. And you can pray. And you can talk to me. And I will prepare a place for you in heaven. And uh, you're chosen. And you are uh, clean because of the word I've spoken over you. You've forgiven. What are the chances in the context of all of that, this verse says... But if you get disconnected from me, I'm going to cut you off and send you to a burning hell. What? No. That, that's the wrong... End. We can just look at the context and say, well, that's not what he's talking about. I mean, that has no place. He's not talking about that. So that's why the context is important. We suddenly realize, well, it couldn't mean that. So what does it mean? So let's find out what the passage really means now. Okay, so the second principle, first principle is what's the historical context? Second principle is what are the key words? Because that'll tell us what the passage is about. Well, is this a passage about hell? No. Hell's not even in the passage. Fire is used one time. But you know what's in this passage? Nine times it says the word fruit in 17 verses. And nine times it says the word love in the passage. So what's this a passage about? Fruit and love. All right? Now, I kind of know what love is. I can figure that out. But what is fruit in this passage? And somebody says, I know that. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Come on, Darren. Well, how do you know? 
You don't know that. I mean, see, we look at a word and we think, it, we, think we know what it means. But how do you know? The word fruit is used 44 times in the New Testament and there's 10 different meanings. There's the fruit of the Spirit, but there's also the fruit of repentance. There's the fruit of the vine. There's the fruit of death, which is stuff you shouldn't do. That's bad, you know, that's bad. Uh, There is the fruit of the gospel, which are new believers. There's the fruit of our lips, which is the praise that we give. So there's all these different fruit. What's he talking about here? See, words in our language mean different things, and we have to be kind of adept to that. We can't just think it means one thing. Like, like, this isn't the, like what does this word mean to you? Grass. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what it means to you, but <laughs> it means different things to different people, see? And you can have an argument about that, but, you know, like different words mean different. You can say the word batter, and you could be talking about making a cake, or you'd be talking about baseball, Right? You could be talking about, uh, you know, the word uh, pen in the English language. There are 62 meanings for the word pen. All right? So there's the pen on the golf course, which is the flag that goes in the green, but then there's a little pen that you stick, you know, pointed thing, piece of metal, or there's a pen that you put in your bank account, or there's a rolling pen, or a wrestler can pin someone to the floor. Which one is it? When you say pin, I don't know. So just because you see fire in a passage, you can't just go, oh, it means hell. No, no. And what does fruit mean in this passage? So we have to look it up. So what is the, the third principle of interpretation? I'm not really clear about what fruit is yet. So third principle, I will look at what is clear to interpret what is unclear. What is clear in this passage that helps me with what is unclear? What verses are clear it helped me with the unclear, and that's the third principle. So, in this passage in chapter 15, there are three verses that are absolutely clear about the nature of fruit. Verse 4, verse 8, and verse 11. Let me read them for you. Verse 4 says, Remain in me, stay connected to me, and I'll remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must Remain, stay connected in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So what does that mean? What's the most obvious, clear meaning? So I would think about that, and then I would just write down, this is what I observe. Bearing fruit is produced by staying connected to Jesus. (laughs) That's just simple, right? I didn't read into that. I didn't make that up. I didn't force that into the text. It's just... Bearing fruit is produced by staying connected to Jesus. That's clear. Now, what does that mean? It means that no branch can produce fruit by itself. You just can't tape fruit onto a tree and call it a fruit tree. You just can't put apples on a dead branch and say, look at my apple tree. That's what, that's what Christians do all the time. They tack a few good works on, you know, and then they say, oh, look at the fruit of my life. <laughs> Please. You didn't, nothing came out of you. That was no work of the Holy Spirit. You're just trying to look good for some people. Right? So fruit is an inside job. It's like the sap, you know, on the inside. And the Holy Spirit has to, it's something that comes from within by the power of the Spirit of God. So that's the first thing I know. The, the second uh, verse, uh, verse 8, says this. Clear verse. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. So what's clear and obvious? I would write down, bearing fruit brings glory to God. Is that clear? 
Is that simple? Bearing fruit brings glory to God. So that, that's a clear thing I know about fruit. And then verse 11 says about the motive. I've told you this about fruit so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. So Jesus now tells us what the motive for fruit bearing is. So I would write down, bearing fruit will give me complete joy. Now, that's kind of exciting. And I go, well, now I'm interested because bearing fruit will give me complete joy. This is like hunting elephants now. This is like a much bigger pursuit. I've been looking for joy in the firewood and all the other little pursuits, and it's not there. And, and, and now, complete joy, and I want to know what that is. So here's, here's the fourth principle, because I've got to know what fruit is now. Number four, look for the most obvious meaning. Now, I shouldn't have to say that, but you know what? We live in a world where everybody wants things to be deep. And deep just means muddy. And uh, people want some deep meaning, and they're looking for the secrets and the hidden meaning and the esoteric, mysterious meaning. Uh, if you take that approach, you're going to miss what the Bible is actually trying to say. All these Discovery Channel, History Channel, the secrets of the Bible, the Bible code, that's all nonsense. It's not, it's, not, it's not real. There are no secrets, hidden secrets in the Bible. You, you know why I can say that? Because this is, this is the revealed revelation of, of Jesus. It's God saying, I want to reveal myself. I don't want to conceal myself. I'm trying to reveal myself to you. I, I, I came in the person of Jesus so that you could understand what God is like. And the whole book at its, at its core is, how can you get to know me? And how can I get to know him? So why would God play hide-and-seek with us? He's not. He, he, he wants to make it very plain. And so much of, of deep meaning really has more to do with ego. Like, look how smart I am, and look at how deep this is, and it just makes it muddy. I'm saying the Bible was meant to be read by a child or read by someone who's, you know, all the way up there in years and everybody in between. The Bible speaks to everybody, and I just think that God's Spirit makes the meaning clear, and it's very obvious. So let's just look for the obvious meaning. For example, the problem verse that we looked at, verse 6, where it said this again. You remember, um, if anyone doesn't remain in me, they're thrown aside like a branch that withers, and they gather it up and they throw them into the fire and they're burned and people say well the fire means this and the you know the branch and you know Jesus is walking through a vineyard and he says guys you see that it's not connected anymore it's not bearing fruit a branch that doesn't bear fruit has lost its purpose that's the most obvious meaning that's exactly what he's saying. What is the purpose of a grapevine except to bear fruit? If it doesn't bear fruit, it's not fulfilling its purpose. It only has one purpose left, which is firewood, which isn't awful. I mean, it's not like nothing. I mean, it's energy for dinner. I mean, they didn't have microwaves and electricity and gas and all of that. So you see some spare wood lying around. We're going to make a fire out of that to cook dinner. So that's the point. I mean, not that your life will have no value. It's just so much less than what it was supposed to be. That God created you and appointed you to bear fruit in your life but the life that you have is just so much less than what it could have been and should have been and ought to have been. So he's casting a vision to the disciples here, not about hell at all. He's saying, guys, let me tell you what could be, what ought to be. 
don't be like this. You've got to stay connected to me because if you do, you're going to produce much fruit. He's saying you can know God like I know the Father. Or you can live disconnected from him. You can hunt elephants or you can chase firewood. Now, what is the text saying about fruit? Let's just see what the obvious meaning is. Let's look at verse 7. Because of the work we did on those other verses, we can now get an idea about what Jesus is saying fruit is in the passage. Verse 7 says this. Now, if you stay connected to me, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. So, staying connected to Jesus bears fruit. Well, staying connected to Jesus produces answered prayer. That's what this verse says. Do you see that? If you stay connected to me, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. That's just right there. Now, have you ever thought about that? That prayer can do what God can do. I mean, think about that. When you talk to, you have the opportunity to speak to God, to ask him to do something. Your prayer has the capacity to do what God can do. Why are we praying such tiny little prayers? Why are we asking God for such small things? We need to have a much larger prayer ambition. We need to be able to say, God, I can ask you, if you made all of this, why can't I ask you for more? And you would say, well, wait a second, that can't be true. I've asked God for things and he didn't give me what I wanted. How can you be so sure? See, God is always going to answer prayer and he may not just say, he may say yes, he may say no, he may say later, but he's always going to give you what's best for you. And here's the point, you rarely see God working it out till it's worked out right? So how do you know at any given point in time when you say God's not doing anything and he's going, I'm working, but you just aren't patient. So how do you know? And besides, we should be praying anyway, like God, you know what's best for me. So God, here's what I want, but I want what you want. You know what's best for me. And I pray that you open up my eyes to see the bigger picture and see what's greater and lead me into that. I want to I want to see what you want. I mean, that's how we should be praying. So, so staying connected to Jesus produces answered prayer. Same conversation, same 11 guys, chapter 14, verse 13. We get this verse. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask for anything in my name and I'll do it. Why? Because it brings glory to God. Okay, so bearing fruit brings glory to God. This verse right here says, answered prayer brings glory to God. I'm getting a picture of what fruit is. One other verse, chapter 16, verse 24, same conversation, same group of guys. Until now, Jesus said, you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. (laughs) Well, bearing fruit, I know brings complete joy and it says here answered prayer gives me complete joy my prayer ambitions are too small your prayer ambitions are too small there's so much joy in watching God perform uh, the miracles that we've asked him to do 27 times in the New Testament God tells us to ask him he says ask and it will be given to you seek and you'll find knock and the door will be opened unto you in James it says you have not because you ask not One day you're going to get to heaven and you're going to realize all the things that you could have achieved and accomplished for the kingdom of God, but you never did because you never asked. So Jesus' final words to his most 
to, to his friends. You're not just my servant. And not just to you, he would pray in chapter 14. He would say, but for all of those who will never see me but still believe. That's you and me. And he says, I want to give to you and I want you to ask me. I'm not going to be here with you anymore, but you stay connected to me and I'm going to give you what you ask for in prayer when you stay connected to me. Maybe that's why David, when we correlate this with other scriptures, he would say, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. When you pray, or let me put it this way, when you don't pray, you don't cheat God. You just cheat you. It's like having a bank account that you never uh, draw on. So look at this again. Bearing fruit, is produced by staying connected to Jesus. Answered prayer comes from staying connected to Jesus. Bearing fruit brings glory to God. Answered prayer brings glory to God. Bearing fruit, that was clear, gives me complete joy, while answered prayer gives me complete joy. So I know now what fruit is in this passage. In case you missed it, Jesus mentions it one more time in verse 16. He says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you that you go out and bear fruit, fruit that will last And look what he says immediately next. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. So here it is. We didn't read into it. We didn't force it. We just let the text speak to us and say uh, what fruit is in the passage. And you would write this down now. I bear fruit by asking in prayer. Answered prayer is fruit. That's the fruit he wants to produce in your life. He's saying if you stay connected to me, and your heart is close to mine, and my words are in you, you can ask me anything, and I'm going to answer. And the fruit that he wants to do in your life and my life is answered prayer. In fact, prayer is the root of all fruit. It's the root of of the fruit of the Spirit. When we actually go and we pray, God, fill me with your love, with joy, with peace, with patience. Fill me with kindness and gentleness and self-control and integrity. God, I need those in my life. It all comes from prayer. Prayer, those things are formed in our life because we ask for them. You see, much prayer, much fruit. Little prayer, little fruit. No prayer, no fruit. If you're not praying and asking God, there's, you know, it's just taping fruit on the, on the barren tree. And so here's the thing. You know what the problem is? Prayer is at the root of everything good God wants to do in our life and we don't have because we haven't asked. And you know why we don't ask? Well, we do ask. We only pray when we're in trouble. (laughs) We just have a hard time praying when we're not in trouble. That's the trouble with prayer. When we're not in trouble, we don't pray. When we're in trouble, we pray. You know what prayer's like? Prayer's like the little donut spare tire in the back of the trunk. We hate that thing. Nobody likes that. Nobody wants that on their car. We don't want to look like that. We don't even want to mess with it. We want to call roadside or we want to maybe just drive it to the gas station or something or take it to Sam's. But we don't want to mess with that unless we absolutely, there's no other resort and then we get it out. (laughs) That's what we do with prayer. It's like, well, I guess all we can do now is pray. Really? Is it that bad? (laughs) There's nothing else we can do. We just got to pray. That's it. It's the last resort, and God didn't invent prayer to be our last resort spare tire. He meant it to be the steering wheel. He meant it to be, this is what I want you to direct your whole life with. I want to I guide you. I want to lead you. I want to, to show you where to go and tell you what to do. Can you imagine the most creative power in the universe saying, ask me? 
you get your intentions right, get your heart right, align it with me. I think some of you could just innovate and create and do things that you haven't even dreamed of yet. He, it's like my grandpa said, you hunt elephants or you chase firewood with your life. What's it going to be? So let me ask you a couple questions as we wrap this up. Well, first of all, let me just give you a confession because you, you need to hear this. I've been trying to work this 40 days with you every single day. I'm trying. I'm not perfect. I, I'm the pastor and I haven't gotten all the days in. I want to though, but you know, you know how it is, and you know you, and and so here's how it's been for me. Like like just this last week, there were days when I was so connected to Jesus that I mean, if I opened my eyes, it would be like He's right there. Yes. <laughs> and in the same week, there's other moments when I'm so disconnected, yes. that I'm so far, that I'm so self-willed, that I'm so you know just functioning like like a like an orphan that doesn't have a loving father that's promised to provide everything that he's ever needed not even in the picture of my thinking and so I'm inconsistent like that and that's the problem right well here here's the thing I'm so glad this passage doesn't mean I'm going to hell (laughs) when I'm disconnected and he's not saying about you either. He's saying, this is what he was saying. He said, look, I, the word I spoke over you has made you clean. You, you're forgiven. And then he says, I chose you. So I know all about your inconsistency. He says, but I'm, what I'm trying to tell you is that, is that if you want to have the best life, if you want to have a life of, that's fruitful, then it, it, would, it, would, it would pay off for you if you would stay way more connected to me. Like if you would, if you would connect with me, and walk with me and stay connected, you could ask anything and I will do it for you. Now you can make the choice. You can be disconnected or not. So he's giving them a vision cast. Do you see that? He's, he's saying, guys, this is what your life could be. And I'm telling you, don't get discouraged by trouble, by trial, by busyness, by anything else. I want you to take time to make sure that you connect with me. And if you do, I'll blow your mind. Did he not say, I can do above and beyond what you can even ask or think? Didn't he say that if you put me first and seek my righteousness, then everything will be given to you as well? He says, put me first and put me to the test and see if I won't pour out the windows of heaven upon you and you can't even contain it. I know that's talking about tithing, but I'm telling you, when you just connect with the heart of God, Jesus said where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. So it's all about your heart. He's after your heart. And will you give it to him? So the memory verse for this week is in Matthew. I think it's chapter 7, verse 24. Look at that. I remembered it. Okay, I'm trying. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, it's the key part, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. You put these words into practice, you're like a wise man because the storms of life will come and buffet you, but you'll have a foundation because you're connected to Jesus, all right? The fool says, eh. And when the storms come, they have no foundation. It's like building on sand and they're swept away. They're double-minded. They're like a cork that bobs on the wave of the sea. They have no peace or anything. So he's giving you a path to wisdom. I wonder how many people are sitting in church across America hearing sermons that they have no intention of doing anything about. And so the question is, will you be a doer of this word? It's not enough to talk about prayer today until we do it. The most important thing is that you pray. So what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? What area of your life needs fruit? What's barren in your life? What do you need to pray about that God will produce some fruit in that area of your life? Is it your relationships, 
your marriage? Is it your finances? Is it on the job where you're stuck? Is it your company that you're holding on to so tightly? What are you pursuing? What firewood existence are you after? (laughs) St. Francis of Assisi said this. He said, give up your small ambitions. And I'm afraid that most of us are pursuing a life of gathering firewood. And God says, I want you to hunt elephants. I I want you to think great things, what I can do in your life. I want you to pray great prayers. I want you to stay connected to me. Because we serve a God that is bigger than we can even imagine. So I want to read this verse for you one more time and let this sink in. This is the word of the Lord to you today. It's your application. And I would encourage you now to write out what are you going to do? What will you pray about this week? Matthew 7, verse 24. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. I have appointed you, I have destined you to bear fruit. Stay connected to me. All these things will be added unto you. Guys, hunt elephants. Stop chasing firewood. Do you receive this today? All right. I know that you do. So let's pray. Let's pray together. When I think about it, Lord, I'm amazed that there is such a thing called prayer that I can literally talk to you and you can talk to me. I want to thank you for the gift of being able to listen and hear your voice and to communicate with you. Now, Father, as the first one in this room and the leader of this church, I confess to you my prayerlessness. And Lord, we all do that. We don't pray except when we're in trouble. And Lord, we need to let you take the wheel. We, we want prayer to be the steering wheel of our lives. Lord, we repent of that and we say today, Lord, we want to pray. We want to talk to you. We want you to guide us, Lord, into bearing fruit. You have destined and appointed fruit for us to bear, and we shouldn't be afraid of it. We shouldn't hold back. We should believe that you have good things in store for us. You're a loving Father that has promised to answer the prayers that we pray. So, Lord, wherever we're praying for, I pray that we won't live in barrenness any longer, and I pray for my brothers and sisters that they will pray today over those areas in their life that that are just barren. I pray for broken marriages. I pray, Lord, for uh, husbands that are turning away from you and rejecting, uh, listening to the to, to the humble voice of your spirit that's just saying to, to bow their knee and to, to surrender to you. Lord, I pray that that man will hear your voice today. And I pray that, that every woman would just forgive. And I pray that there would be a spirit of peace in every, every marriage as people decide to pray. Lord, I pray for people who are struggling in their finances. May they pray over their debt condition. May they say, Lord, it's enough that I'm controlled by this. And I'm praying for you to set me free from debt. And show me the way and point me the path to get out so I can be free to follow you, Lord. Lord, I pray for creativity over my business and over my uh, finances and over the areas of my life that I'm in charge of. Lord, give me your mind. Tell me what to do. Show me how to be. Help me to be the leader I should be on the job. Lord, I pray that they pray all of these prayers and you would give us big faith. Lord, I pray the men and women in this church will be incredible fruit bearers in this next season as they seek you first and your righteousness, knowing that everything will be given to them as well. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, just pray this prayer with me today. Jesus Christ, I come to you humbly, and I admit that I've held you off, 
I'm sorry for sinning against you. I, I'm a sinner. I know it. I admit it. But I ask you to forgive me. I believe you died on the cross so that my life wouldn't be barren and that you want to be my friend and you want to guide me and lead me and help me to produce the fruit that you've always intended. That's what I want and I'm ready to follow. If that's you, say, God, that's me. That's my prayer. Now, Holy Spirit, draw every person to do what you've asked them to do, whether it's to pray or to be baptized or to do whatever it is you've told them to do. May they do it today and be not just hearers of the word, but doers also. I love you, Lord Jesus. Thanks for what you did here today. Amen. Can we just give God praise for uh, his word to us? take a look at these announcements we'll be right back but I just want to encourage you just pray just pray we're going to have people up here at the end of our service and if you're stuck in an area of your life and you just say I need prayer for whatever reason I don't want you to be embarrassed this is church what do people do in church we sing we listen to God's word and we pray it's just so normal you don't have to be a member this could be your first time and People will be leaving and the lights will be down, but we want to pray for you. We want to help help you get unstuck. And I pray you'll take that next step and follow Jesus today, whatever he's telling you to do. I love you guys. See you next week.